Hey everyone, it's Tom here, back with another edition of Alpha Metallica. This is the second volume of our Mega History series. If you're not au fait with this concept, this is basically a more of a, you know, a long-form exploration into someone in Metallica, attached to Metallica. I mean, it's early days for the series. We've only done basis so far. We'll probably have to do Rob on the next one. Uh, go check out the Jason episode with uh, Jack. Always great to have Jack on. Love that episode. So yeah, today we are going to be talking about the, you know, the misfit wearing the jazz aficionado who's a headbanger, uh, bell-bottom, long-haired, kind of mythic, very incredibly intellectually progressive, both on his instrument and just him, his personality, you know, Cliff Burton truly was one of the great ones and uh, you know the bitterness uh, of his untimely demise is soothed uh, certainly by the genius that he left us in his brief 24 years uh, of course those last three or so were with Metallica uh, in case you didn't know that and uh, and yeah today we are just going to be going through his his back history, his playing, um, you know, any funny things we've unearthed or interesting trinkets or obscure nuggets or, you know, it's going to be slightly different to the Jason one because, you know, there's only 24 years to uh, discuss here, sadly, and there is obviously the legacy subsequently that we'll get into. But, uh, you know, I say we because today I'm joined by a guest. Uh, Reed, how's it going, sir? Great. How are you? Very well. You, Chicago, is that right? Is that where you're based? Yeah, based in Ch- Chicago. It, I, I'm at Lake Bloomington, Illinois right now. But okay. uh, Ch- Chicago, uh, yes, sir. And what is the history? What's a potted history of you and the band? I know you've been listening since Master, right? <clears throat> yeah, actually, uh, the first time uh, I, I heard... Uh, ride the lightning i was at a friend's house not even a good friend i was like dating his sister i was in seventh grade and uh it was you know a a, a metalhead from peoria illinois where i grew up and uh he came down one day into their living area i barely knew the guy he set up his like turntable and his speakers and he put on thundercats i don't know if you know that but it was like a cartoon yes, yeah epic cartoon mm-hmm. show like you know that came on after she raw is she was she raw part of that or was that I, that sounds about right okay okay but this guy came down and he was like thundercats is on and he <laughs> put on ride the lightning and put the, the the cartoon on silence damn and that was the first time i ever heard fight fire with fire this is probably like 85 mm. and just was scared out of my wits. I mean, I was in seventh grade. Um, but that was my first, you know, I listened to ride the lightning to the Thundercats. And, uh, and then a, a year later, I officially discovered Metallica for myself when, right when master puppets came out. So, yeah. So, I mean, that is just, you know, I came of age in the St. Anger era. So it's like, for right, you, for right, you, right. you know, whatever, like that's just kind of where I was birthed for all my sins. But, you being there when that was happening, like, you know, and Justice, for example, like, uh, you know, the new records coming out, like, so you were just there, were you queuing outside the record stores or? Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, um, Master of Puppets was, was being sold in, there was a, 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 a mall and there was a great record store in that mall. I can't remember, remember the name, but they had like the cardboard cutout 
and you know records stacked and they they were pushing um master of puppets when that came out even though they were still kind of underground but they weren't really underground that they, they were being well publicized at that point but yeah so um i became a fan that a super fan that year and yeah exactly 1988 when uh Justice came out and Garage Days came out. I mean, I was, you know, first in line to get those those records. Uh, sorry, just to interrupt, I could just hear a bit of birds twittering in the background. I mean, it, it's fine, but are you able to close a window perhaps? Or Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry to interrupt. This is great. but No, um, no worries. Yeah. No worries. Just do it now rather than whatever. You know. Okay. Okay, okay. Cool, 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 cool. Um, so, uh, you know, Getting into Cliff then, I mean, this was a topic that you brought to me and kind of the stars aligned to a certain extent because I was wanting to do another one of these mega histories. Uh, you know, again, go back and check out the Jason with Jack. That was a brilliant episode, very proud of episode. Um, but you bringing him, you, you know, you coming with the idea, like Cliff's an important figure for you then. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, um, I'm hanging out with a friend of mine that I've known since we were kids and, and he was a Metallica fan too, not as big as me. Um, he's here today, but anyway, um, and he asked me last night, uh, you know, like what was the most significant, like rock star death of your life, you know, just randomly. Yeah. And, uh, and Cliff, Cliff Burton was my answer. I was in, you know, I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school. Um, and I found out, you know, the day after he died, um, on the bus crash, you know, in like mm -hmm. science class or something. Yeah. I was, I was in science class and, you know, I, I cried and, you know, so that, yeah, it was very significant. Um, in, in science class, did you cry? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. At school, you know, in high school. And I'm sure a lot of people um, are like, who's this guy? They were like, is he like a president or something? He's like, no, he's a base. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't legitimate, but it's, right. uh, you know, that's that's wild that you cried over Cliff. But and like, it's, I mean, yeah, well, it kind of hangs over him. Like it hangs over so, like, I, I don't know if you're a Sopranos fan, but whenever I watch that, just knowing that James Gandolfini's past and what a brilliant man he was. And, you know, it just kind of, I don't know, it puts it in a different light. But today we are going to be, you know, celebrating and exploring the life of Cliff Burton, um, you know, going back to the beginning. His birthday, actually, uh, February 10th, 1962, he was born apparently around 9.30 p.m. Uh, you know, he was born to California-born school teacher Jan and Ray, who was a highway engineer at the time, Ray Burton, who I've actually had the privilege of interviewing. Uh, let's listen to a little clip of that here. That There must be something great to take from that, that, you know, is still so powerful, you know, people have such love for this guy's talent. Well, that's one of the amazing things, Tom, is that uh, after all of these years, that uh, he is uh, uh, so remembered and mm. so loved and uh, admired and uh, and kids. Uh, uh, when I'm at a uh, Metallica venue of some uh, concert of some type, it uh, they come up to me and uh, thank me profusely uh, about having uh, Cliff as a son and uh, and how he. Uh, uh, was an inspiration uh, to them to uh, pick up the uh, the bass and uh, accept and enjoy music, but he was such a uh, uh, inspiration to them, and I, I just uh, it, it just amazes me. Of course, it makes me feel very very good that mm. uh, he was that uh, that talented 
uh, to have uh, the following that he has. And, you know, Cliff, fascinated to read about the sort of, you know, his early experiences and apparently he had a very high reading comprehension for, for his young age. Yeah, he he was, oh, Cliff, uh, uh, right off the, you know, as a very young kid, we, we knew that uh, there was something exceptional about him. And, uh, but he was, through his schooling, he was one of these kids that, I'll swear he never cracked a book, yet he would uh, come home with uh, uh, A's and B's, mm. and uh, he was just a uh, uh, very talented, uh, smart kid. Uh, I think uh, uh, he, uh, uh, not I think, I, I know that uh, his uh, IQ was in the neighborhood of 140 to 150, oh. something like that. But yeah, he was the, I mean, just, you know, in case you guys are interested, he was the youngest of two, uh, you know, with two older siblings, sorry, he had Scott and Connie. And, you know, Cliff, it's fascinating, isn't it, Reed, when you hear about people as kids and you just read into what their personality becomes. And, uh, you know, apparently he didn't walk till he was 22 months old. He, he but right. he, he wasn't lazy. He, he he's, <laughs> he's a canny dude. He worked out, you get carried places, save that energy, like. Yeah, he, yeah, he, you know, he danced to a different drummer right, right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, seemed like a really methodical guy. Yeah, very much his own man, it seems. Yeah, he, yes. um, he attended Earl Warren Junior High, uh, which is where his mom worked permanently with special needs students. And uh, yeah, she would say that there'd be kids outside and she'd encourage him to go on a summer's day. And he would say they're just sitting around and talking and that's boring. And he just go, <laughs> he just go inside and read and put on music and uh, yeah, I mean th- that same element seems to go through. Like you know, uh, reading Joel McIver's great book, which I'm going to draw from extensively in the notes to Live Is to Die: uh, The Life and Death of Metallica's Cliff Burton. Um, you know, even like when just pure debauchery, like at Day on the Green and stuff. Like he's like, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. like if I'm a rock star from a two year old, like I'm going my own way. Exactly. I mean, Cliff was a badass. You know, it's interesting too. I'm I'm slightly into like astrology and tarot and that mm. kind of stuff. And uh, like I, I share almost the same chart as uh, as Cliff. Like we're uh, like our rising and our moons are the same, mm. and our sun signs are. He's an Aquarius and I'm a uh, Pisces. But that was interesting to me when I pulled up his chart a month ago. Um, so maybe that you know maybe that's why I cried a little little part of me yeah. died there too <laughs> <laughs> some celestial element of you yeah just perished yeah that's uh, Ari- okay Ari- 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 oh surely yeah Orionesque and you know the early music for him uh, classical music from his you know parents tastes uh, big band stuff Ray was a fan of apparently he took piano yeah. lessons as well uh yes and but that didn't really go into anything until later when the the classical appreciation and you know i'm sure that formed uh some sort of bedrock there but and 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 when apparently they overdubbed piano onto orion which i still can't hear but they it's it's in the you know it's in the like lead sheet for that session somehow Mm. yeah it's but he was still you know like james and like anyone else like he was a kid of 70s rock uh, Eagles, Skinner, Nugent, Aerosmith, a little bit of jazz fusion in there as well. 
And sure. that that's his aesthetic, isn't it? Essentially, a, a kind of punk rocker, but certainly leaning more on the, you know, kind of uh, southern gent kind of element. Yeah, I mean, a real musician, really, you know, I mean, yeah. just a broad musical taste. And, you know, we'll get into it later. But I mean, that's my argument about, you know, Metallica after Cliff has passed and why they're an absolutely different sort of group <laughs> now. But mm. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, yeah dig- no. I digress. Yes. I yes. Get a- I'm getting ahead of the game. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can spend so long out in the kind of early days in the weeds of of Cliff's history, but I sure. think one of the important things uh, to reflect on is that uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, tragedy struck the Burtons on May nineteenth, nineteen seventy five. Cliff's older brother died. Scott cerebral aneurysm, and um, he passed away shortly after going to the hospital. And Cliff apparently never really spoke of this, but he did, um, I don't know if you've read, it's just coming back to me now, Back to the Front. I've mentioned it many times on the show, the sort of coffee, oh, yeah. the coffee I mean, table. It. Yeah. It's sitting beside me as we speak. Did yes. you Did you look like the kids in that back in the day, like those little grease? You know, I, I, that, that's the thing is I wasn't quite. That, that, sure. that's why I idolized them so much is because I, you know, I had like, I, you know, I grew up Midwest Peoria, Illinois. And, uh, you know, I had like long hair and back, but short up front, you know, but I hung out with a lot of kids that, that were absolute metalheads and a lot of punks and, and that kind of thing too. So, um, I did not quite look that way, no. <laughs> but there's, <laughs> Sorry uh, to say. yeah, there's plenty of photos in that book and there is a photo, I think it's just of some Polaroid, like some quite candid snap of a fan. And Cliff rocking the hat that he was often had on stage and off stage. And apparently there's a little caption and this fan had said, look, I like your hat. And he said, oh, it's my brother's. You know, I'm sort of, I'm doing that in in memory of him. And his whole genesis of a bass player seems to revolve around that to some extent. Like, you know, he was still playing already, but that was like a catalyst in memory of his brother, Scott. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's what they say. That's what history tells us is that, you know, he said he was going to be the best bass player for his brother. I don't know who, what, you know, who quoted him there, but no. um, for sure, a, a, a major impetus, I think. And, and thus begins, you know, the endless woodshedding and practice sessions, you know, just, just heavily at it, regimented. You know, his parents were commenting after six months he really sort of became a player and had a voice to a certain extent and was recognisable and that dedication continues. Didn't realise this, found this in my reading. Apparently his unusual technique, um, you know, where basically he plays with one of his kind of picking hands, a skew. It kind of looks like he's got the devil horn salute when he's playing because he kind of adapted to an injury, uh, a fishing hook injury as a little kid. Cliff was an avid fisherman, as you know, an outdoorsman in many ways. And uh, yeah, he got a hook stuck in his hand. And because of that, he could, I guess, some tendon damage or something like that. Did you ever notice that oddity to his playing style? No, no, I not at the at the time. Surely no, but I no. but I know that 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 idea that you know he got his finger hook, you know, uh, fishing, and that's mm. why he had you know that he used to play with all five fingers on the one hand, as as they legend has it, you know. <laughs> but then he had the you know the pinky injury. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he would talk about his influences well, in 1985. And he was talking about the people that he was getting into. Um, you know, classic uh, offenders here. Geddy Lee, Geezer, Lemmy. 
Um, I don't know if you saw a list, actually, but this is mentioned on Cliff's Wikipedia on, like, the second paragraph or whatever. Uh, but he was uh, named ninth in a 2011 Rolling Stone online poll, recognising the greatest bassist of all time. I mean, he's up there with Flea and McCartney on that list, like, for a 24-year-old. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, well do you, said. Do you agree with that? <laughs> I mean, should he be higher or? Oh, I mean, higher than Flea? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. I mean, no no offense to Flea. I mean, sure. And I like that band. Um, but, uh, you know, just the breadth of his playing. And, you know, uh, I've been listening to so much, like, Cliff Burton bass-only Metallica-era stuff. And it's just, yeah, he was ahead of his time. You know, um, sad to see him go so early. I sort of liken his, his passing with, like, uh, Kurt Cobain. I mean, he was already absolutely talented and moved that band forward. And his impression on that band was just indelible. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, Kurt Cobain, well, they only put out three records and they're great records. And Kurt Cobain was a hell of a songwriter, obviously, but like, had he lived, I mean, what would he be doing now? I think we're talking like McCartney status, you know? Um, and you know Cliff's influence on, on on Metallica and on music surely you know would have like who knows I you can't even comprehend where they might have gone to. Um, I mean he, he is he is I think without question the most influential heavy metal bass player ever. I mean people point yeah. to Geezer, but I'm like what did he actually? He's kind of following Iomi. I think Cliff is more trailblazing like. Yeah, yeah, and even like Steve Harris, who is yeah. from Maiden, you know, who's oh, an yeah. incredible lead. that finger strength. Holy fuck, man! Wow. Holy fuck! But but Cliff brought in you know this like you say this like seventies influence. He brought in this psychedelia, this experimental but also element. baroque music as well. Like yes, next yeah. Whichever. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's uh, you know it, it's intangible. But let let us know. Hopefully, if you listen to this, you'll agree with my outlandish statement there. But uh, yeah, just a little interview I found as well with Steve Doherty, who was a Castro Valley teacher, and he was one of Cliff's guitar teachers. Cliff had many tutors when he was younger. Apparently, he was sixteen or seventeen, and uh, mm-hmm. he has memories of Ray driving him there and him sitting outside and reading a book, and afterwards uh, Ray thanking him for supporting his son and. You know, he would say how, how great the family were around him. And yeah, just, I mean, Cliff came from just an insane unit, really. Just the kind of, uh, you know, picture postcard. But they're such lovely people, uh, you know, having the privilege of speaking to Ray briefly. Check out that episode again. But um, yeah, he would say Steve, because Steve was a jazz player. And he would say what we would do was Baroque things like back. Uh, he really enjoyed that. Cliff uh, felt it was a good way to think about melodies, not just thinking about bass lines. And, um, you know, he would say as well that they did a lot of three, four, they did a lot of six, eight, five, you know, they did a lot of odd time signatures and there was stuff they were working on. And uh, apparently listening to Orion, uh, the first time I heard it, he says, I thought, yeah, that's what we worked on. And it's not like it was a direct copy. It was a starting point that he took and turned into something memorable. And just for Cliff to have that into his arsenal and it never feels like... I don't know, certain music, like maybe some Richie Blackmore or something, when it's in that neoclassical type fold, can be a little cringy to me. Uh, as a technical exercise, it's, it's outstanding. But just as a kind of musical piece, it can fall a little flat. But with Cliff, 
he's existing in in the beating heart of one of the all-time heavy bands and he's not diluting that at all but he's still putting these wild you know kind of archaic ideas in the mix yeah absolutely i mean i i think you know, I mean, when I heard Metallica, I thought they kind of invented that classical meets metal kind of thing, yeah. which, of course, we know they didn't. And 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 uh, Iomi really introduced a lot of that, um, popularized that concept. But but I do think that with Metallica, with the way that it, that's what made Metallica so great in those early years is is taking their influences and making them feel more seamless into a songwriting process. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't seem like, Oh wow, this is the big classical moment or this is the big, you know, epic midsection or, um, it feels very, um, natural, much like the Beatles, you know, like, uh, anybody who thinks that you can write songs with three chords on a guitar. Well, you're right. But, uh, you know, there, there, no problem if it, if it, it, you know, it takes 20 great, yeah. interesting, intricate chords to make uh, a McCartney song, you know. Um, but if you make it look seamless or, you know, easy, that's kind of the, the magic trick. And, and um, so, yeah, I think that that was what was so cool about Metallica at that time is it was it didn't feel self-conscious, you know, those kinds of, um, con, you know, conflagrations of, of of musical styles no 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 it definitely didn't and speaking of easy easy street an early cliff band that he was in uh did a lot of covers with uh, jim martin aka big jim or fatso who would later be in faith no more mike borden as well uh are you aware of this band um or are you aware of the fact that they all knew each other all these future legends oh yeah 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 Easy Street, of course, yeah. Easy Agents Street. of Misfortune. I mean, yes. I think I think Agents of Misfortune. I think Easy Street and Agents of Misfortune are the same band. Maybe they renamed yeah, they were it rena- or they yeah, added they, a member. That's right. Yeah, they were renamed uh, after a Blue Oyster Cult album. Uh, Agents of Misfortune. Yeah, Agents of Fortune is Agents the is the BOC. Fortune, that's right. Yeah, uh, which. Um, does that have astrology on it? Astronomy, sorry. I'm, I think it might. I, re- I remember the album cover, but I don't remember the album that well. I don't really know the band that well. But um, but yeah, they were the same band. And there is some stuff on YouTube. Uh, in fact, we can listen to some of the band right now. As you could hear, yeah, very droney, 
very jam driven, you know, very kind of hanging on one riff and playing and playing and playing. There's actually a really funny quote in the Joel McIver book where uh, I think they were at some kegger or something and the band weren't really there, but Cliff and the guitar player were there. So someone got in drums to play along. And after 10, 10 minutes, they just stopped playing. They couldn't keep up. They're like, dude, you've got to change the riff. You can't just keep playing that riff. And Cliff was like astonished that he'd stopped playing. Apparently Cliff went for like 40 minutes. So we are getting a taste of that here. And, um, I don't know if you listen to this, but you hear a lot of early stuff that will go into Metallica. You even hear bells that do 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 do. I mean, everyone points out in the YouTube comments, and it's absolutely there. And uh, I mean, how how wild, right, to see it there before Metal Massacre, before anything? Yeah, and and I, I believe, like, you know, obviously the his the the solo part of bells, you know, the intro, but then it goes into that the the next riff that. You know, you know, that's the whole, you know, like that's half of that song, you know, bells is a, you know, one of their shorter, sweeter pieces. And yeah, Cliff wrote like, you know, it 40% of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we'll get into his actual contributions to all the songs, but I mean, Cliff as well, just in terms of a human being, you know, there's a lot of drugs around at this time, a lot of weed, a lot of LSD, uh, him and Easy Street or Agents of Mitchell, whatever they were called at that time, uh, went to this ranch and apparently recorded an, it's an unreleased demo called the Maxwell Ranch Tapes and supposedly there's video as well. I mean, you've been a Metallica fan for a while, Reed. Have you got sniff of this? I need to hear it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I know the stories of like Cliff and Jim Martin and maybe Dan Donato's the other I guy. Think so yeah, I, that guy, his name comes up, but that group of friends, like going out to this Max Maxwell, is that what it was called? Maxwell um, ranch? Yeah. Yeah. The ranch and like going out there and setting up generators and, you know, getting high on acid and smoking pot and drinking beer and getting rowdy and shooting guns and what, you know, whatever, you know, Fishing Cliff was a man and, of, yeah, I mean, careful yeah, hook, but, man yeah. of nature. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine like um, and then going out there and doing this like absolutely experimental, uh, grateful dead, yeah. atonal kind of stuff. But with, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of precious stuff in those tapes oh, and probably a lot of stuff that's unlistenable. But, oh, uh, certainly. you know, yeah. from an experimental point of view, I mean, you know, I mean, wow, what a blast. I wish. I was doing that when I was 17. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hopefully, I don't know, we get that in the 90th anniversary of Master of Puppets, like the super box set in space or something. But, uh, yeah, the, you know, Cliff... Again, I just you know, he is his own man. He, he walks through his own tune, as it were. Often go fishing. He would come back at three or four in the morning and start cooking these huge pots of curry with his mates. The big, big, big food, they, call, he, yeah. they called it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, again, eventually, maybe we'll get a Metallica cookbook. They've done everything else, and they can put, <laughs> put that in. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else. I'm trying to think of like other meals they've cooked. Like, I imagine James has some killer like elk recipes and stuff. And, um, you know, Metallica can do no wrong for me. Oh, I mean, yeah. they've embarrassed, they've embarrassed me several times through the years, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always on board with whatever any of those four guys currently want to do. Yeah. They're, they're just cool dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Cliff was a cool dude as well. And apparently he would invite, this always baffles me. 
But again, this just shows how cool that uh, Jan and Ray were. So he would invite his friends back at three in the morning to cook, and they would all like hang out and stuff. But then he would get annoyed at his friends for being too loud, and apparently his mom would yell at them and stuff. I'm like, God bless those folk, those hardworking teachers and highway engineers. Like, you know, they're still like, oh, Cliff, because you know, they, they they did adore him. And they were willing to, you know, give him allowances that certainly James's or Kirk's parents, I mean, Lars, yeah, Lars's parents do anything for him. But the the, the famous deal, uh, Reed, the fact that they, you know, saw Cliff had talent and ambition and kind of brokered this, um, you know, d- d- this agreement, essentially, to say you have four years, I believe, we'll pay your rent, we'll pay food. And if this doesn't work, I don't even think they said if it doesn't work, you're not you're not staying here. I think they said if it doesn't work, you've got to try something else or something. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, you know, and 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 you, you you don't see that. I mean, I grew up in a family that wasn't artistic, but they were you know very um, supportive and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I mean, they were like patrons to the art, like in, in, yeah. in you know in in their house i mean i've never heard a story like that and um such a beautiful thing to take care of your child who you see is motivated and yeah they i mean like they paid him an allowance up through master of puppets you know yeah um what a what a gift and what a beautiful uh couple of uh people to raise a child yeah yeah no and uh you know, it's kind of like for every cliff, there's a million kids in in the eighties that never made it, but still, it's right. Kind of, it but that's what makes. I think that's what makes Cliff Cliff. You know, like yeah. You know, it 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 sort of it was in the stars. You know, like him meeting James and 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 Lars and, um, yeah. There's something, yeah, uh, a, a, a special kind of gifted uh, life. Mm-hmm. for sure yeah yeah it's kind of like so many musical legends that you read the biography of it just doesn't even seem real not that it's so fanciful what happened but just the the story and and the legend that he became and you know of course part of that is his overall sound um you know i'm not a giant kind of gearhead or too knowledgeable on these things but i did want to focus quickly on the rickenbacker and that sound um apparently it's a guy called chuck martin that it kind of originated with a local guitar store and cliff explained kind of what he wanted and challenged him to develop and uh, chuck would say um on the right in the front of the bridge there's a rubber mute that you can adjust we just took that out and we inserted a seymour duncan strap pickup in there which was really hot he could get more of a lead guitar sound out of his basses that way as the pickup was very trebly Rickenbacker basses aren't known for their powerful pickups they have tone but not high output so he wired that in and the rest is history and what what I love as well Reed it's just there's so many little stories of just how great Cliff's parents are we just discussed the deal and stuff but apparently he got the Rickenbacker on layaway and Cliff's mom would often come in and just pay the bill uh I just yeah, I didn't know that one. No, no. Uh, just paying for our son's just monstrous, like, <laughs> hell beast heavy metal uh, article. But, I mean, you know, so Cliff then, he's got to have opportunities. You know, he's got to push forward. He's, he's, he's jamming, you know, Easy Street are sort of coming apart, but obviously they're still friends. We get into trauma, which is a right. fascinating period uh, for Cliff and... You know, we've done an episode on the show just at the turn of the year with Dave where we where we dissected the Metal Massacre compilation and went through each song. 
And I'm just obsessed with obscure metal bands that kind of had one hit or one album. They've got like 200 monthly listeners on Spotify and they're, they're all from L.A., like, you know. Uh, and uh, Trauma are one of those bands, like, very anti-Cliff, right, in their uh, glam leanings. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, 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 I'm definitely no expert on Trauma, but, I mean, I've seen that, like, music video and, and maybe a little bit of live footage. Um, yeah, um, yeah, trauma. Uh, trauma. <laughs> they were, you know, primarily by they had a lot of members, but uh, Donny Hillier and Mike Overton, they were just a kind of, you know, a combo of straight head glam and then a little bit of Judas Priest. Or and apparently Cliff said this was a quote. I saw trauma and I thought, well, I might as well do that. I didn't have anything better to do, and. Um, Ron Quintana, who people know most famously as naming Metallica, giving, you know, Lars the idea for um, Metallica uh, other than Metal Massacre or Metal Mania. I think he was he was floating there. He said that trauma weren't bad, um, but apparently the two guitarists and the singer wore like matching lightning bolts. And he said they uh. sounded like Montrose meets Iron Maiden. I mean, it's kind of that poserish old school metal. And Cliff stood out. You know, not only visually, but in terms of his ability and, you know, word spread because of this. Apparently he would do a solo on stage uh, with the, you know, slide on the bass with the beer bottle. And Cliff obviously just wore denim and bell bottle jeans. And, you know, I mean, Metallica would mock him for that same fashion and he would just shrug it off with confidence. But, uh, but yeah, he was part of Trauma. There's some stuff about Trauma uh, on YouTube. Um, they were on the second Metal Massacre, I believe, as well. Uh, Brian Slade, yeah, with yeah. A, without Cliff, correct? Uh, the I, second one, or or what, 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 maybe Cliff was with them at that point. I'm not sure. I don't uh, know. It'd be interesting, yeah, because um, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam with Jason are on Metal Massacre, so you know, ah. kind, of, kind of kind of funny little thing there. But um, but yeah, Brian Slagle, um, just apparently the manager was pressing him to sign Trauma. But he wasn't impressed, uh, and he didn't have the money. Such a shame the song is called. I really should have checked if uh, if Cliff was on that. But, um, yeah, there is some footage, as I say, and the drummer has flaming sticks, which is just weird to see, and Cliff is just, uh, <laughs> you know, soloing out front. And what got the guy's ears and eyes, uh, Reed, was the, you know, kind of proto version of the Anesthesia solo, right? This is one of his uh, trademark pieces. Yeah, I think that's a little up for conjecture whether they met him at like a party mm. or like an industry kind of thing or, or saw him live or whatever. But yeah, and, you know, the story is that, you know, Hetfield always says, you know, like, oh, we heard this guitar solo and it was the bass player. Yeah, I don't know? see any guitar player. Uh, yeah, it's it's well. Yeah, worn, yeah, yeah. But it's great. Yeah, but obviously they saw him as like, oh, you know, this is the best bass player in you know <clears throat> the world <laughs> we got to get him into our band you know because like you know with Hetfield and Ulrich at that time you know uh, you know little uh uh Metallica seemed a little trashy at that point and they needed to sort of like elevate you know get you know get the good stuff going um and you know saw that what somebody like cliff could could bring to the outfit yeah. you know yeah, just, so. ele just elevate it yeah across the board and yeah um, you know yeah, yeah. It, it's you know it's one of those moments like when they do eventually meet 
like uh, Lennon and McCartney at the at the fair in in the late fifties. You know, it's one of these kind of uh, legendary uh, unions. And Ron McGovney was there. Lest we forget Ron McGovney. Uh, still sour, probably about Mustaine pouring beer on his base. I don't know if that had happened quite yet, but yeah. he he says he's still pissed off about that. It seems uh, he says we we were sitting there watching Trauma, and all of a sudden the bass player goes to a solo as the guitar players were playing rhythm, and he's just thrashing his head all over the place. And James and Lars were bowing to him. I remember after the show, it was raining like a motherfucker, and I saw Cliff all in denim just standing there in the rain, and I said to him, "Hey, dude, you want to ride home?" Which, again, I didn't know that happened after the gig. So uh, it's quite, yeah, quite yeah. interesting that uh, the pass of the torch was probably done in that uh, that cheap Toyota or whatever it was. But, yeah, Cliff is, has joined the band. Interestingly, with Mustaine as well, like, they were in the band at the same time. Like, you don't really consider that, do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It kind of blows my mind to, you know, consider uh, Dave Mustaine in, in Metallica still or how that would have gone. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I I think, uh, yeah, way, way too much personality, I think, with Mustaine in there. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure there were some great shows during that era. You know, the live stuff they were doing was probably really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's just... It, uh, it's just weird to think of uh, of them coexisting there, but uh, yeah, Cliff was in the band, and you know, just immediately really had that huge influence on the guys, and just commanded so much respect. You know, that's kind of what James always says. Like, I wanted the respect that he had. You know, he just all the anecdotes from people just you know attest to what a wonderful guy he was who would go you know above and beyond and and musically as well he he challenged them i mean you, you mentioned metallica rough before and you and you're totally right because lars at the time maybe would be the most dependable technically uh you know on the drums fleming has commented on this themselves i'm not saying the recordings kill them all aren't great or whatever the performance is but you know with a with a flat musical genius like cliff who is you know he he, he can get in the pocket on thrash but they couldn't follow him into, you know, kind of um, Debussy and shit like that. Like, he, he he would just go all over the place. And he wasn't trying to change their direction or anything. It was kind of straight ahead of what it was. But it's just uh, how, how they complement each other, I suppose. Like, it was just, it's such a meeting of geniuses, isn't it, Metallica? I think that's what's so great about um, James and, 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 and Lars. You know, they were, you know, every, nobody wanted to be a poser during that era in, in, you know, especially like, you know, uh, next to the glam rock and the LA shit that was happening or, you know, you could call it shit, whatever. But, um, yeah, they were like, you know, Hetfield and Ulrich were like two little, like kind of poser kids. And they, and, you know, you, you meet somebody like Cliff Burton, who's like his own guy and he's 20 years old or whatever. And it's like, yeah, this, we want this guy in our tribe, you know, um. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, they were besotted with him from the off. I mean, the fact that they moved, you know, it was quite serendipitous that where he was based, uh, you know, was a bit more of an active scene. But still, the fact that they up sticks and and just came to Cliff, who again was just being stubborn and wouldn't move, uh, just plays testament to it, doesn't it? His uh, his apparent genius. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. You know. Cliff was more of a homebody for sure. And, you know, kind of had his feet on the ground. I, you kind of sense that, that Ulrich and Hetfield were kind of, you know, really sniffing stuff out 
in a in a different kind of way. I'm I, I don't mean to be condescending to those yeah. two at all, but uh, but yeah, the cliff was kind of like, you know, yeah, if you want a piece of, of this, you know, it's like come up here, live up live up here, and I think it you know influenced uh, especially James Hetfield um, probably the most, I think the James James's or Cliff's influence on James, you know, you read that time and time again, like those mm-hmm. two, you know, same height. Uh, and, you know, James like wanting to build this confidence to be a lead man in this group and always looking over to Cliff for inspiration, you know, um, and, and, and Cliff's, you know, superior, uh, music theory knowledge and all that kind of thing it you know it's like fake it to make it and i kind of feel like cliff was wasn't ever faking it and no. and and that uh those guys really you know took to him as a as as a, as a as a leader you know i mean he wasn't didn't do the interviews and all that kind of thing but i think he was kind of you know he was the street street cred of Metallica in a way maybe I don't know (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you know Lars would actually talk about this in 92 kind of you know just how he kind of opened their mind in so many different ways Uh, he said quote Cliff really exposed me and James to a whole new musical horizon of harmonies and melodies just a whole new kind of thing and obviously that's sort of that's something that's greatly influenced our songwriting abilities the whole way that me and James write songs together was shaped when Cliff was in the band and was very much shaped around Cliff's musical input the way he really taught us about harmonies and melodies and that kind of stuff and you know before that really comes into the fold on Ride and Master we have Kill Em All, which, the way it sounds, I love the kind of quote-unquote, you know, cheap, whatever, production. It, you know, it's very sparse, very spartan. But it's so direct. It's almost like a power trio at times. You can always hear Cliff. It's probably the album you can hear Cliff best on, I'd say, Kill Em All. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I've been listening to just, like, bass stems, um of Metallica with Cliff and with uh, Jason and, and uh, Robert and stuff. Um, and, you know, but that's the really great, cool thing about listening to Kill Em All, you know, and listening to the bass is Cliff had it from the get go. I mean, he influenced the songwriting way much more on, on Ride the Lightning, especially, and then mm-hmm. Master. But Cliff always. Cliff didn't get better with Ride the Lightning or with Master. He was always a fantastic bass player. If you listen to the bass playing alone on Seek and Destroy, which is, you know, kind of a boring Metallica song. I mean, it's a classic, of course, but, you know, comparatively to their other stuff. And Cliff is just, like, tearing up the fretboard and staying out of the way. I mean, Cliff always served the song first and foremost, um, but you, you, you know, his, his skill level, I don't think got any better with the rest of the records. I mean, he was just already at that level. Yeah. His, his from, precision you know, is perfect. Like this sort of music, especially yeah. when you're underneath Hetfield and you know, you want to imitate yeah. and not muddy it. Like he, you know, those years of practicing that, that fishing hook, whatever he just, 
it's it's rapid fire, isn't it? Like there is there's so much like McCartney esque kind of melody lines underneath. Even in Thrash, he's still kind of doing those things and linking between and jumping and you know all over the fretboard. You say, but just in terms of you know bulking out that bottom end and locking in with Lars. Uh, there's, you know, there, there really isn't a, a missed note, and he, he has a damn instrumental on the fifth track. Like having an instrumental on a metal record is kind of weird, anyway, especially a bass solo one. But having it on your first record, no less. Yeah, right. I mean, um, looking at the MacIver book, that's one thing he talks about. Is you know, the, where did this bass solo come from? I mean, I, I don't know enough about metal and the history in general, uh, but. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a bold move. I mean, it's also very. I I find that song to be very awkward, frankly, on that record. I mean, it's okay. it's great and it's Cliff, but you know, it's such a Kill 'Em All is such a janky record to me, and I, I love it, but um, it does stand out in 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 kind of a, a strange way, frankly, to my ears. Hmm. Hmm. It kind of gives you everything, doesn't it? It kind of has that march at the beginning. It gets very fast and very traditional at the end. And then in the center sections where you have the kind of classically influenced boom, wow, it's still pulling in that wah. You know, it's still kind of, it's got the little devil horns raised, but it's a real kind of exploratory piece i love some of the hangs on it and just the the pull into the fuzz distortion and 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 the moan of the instrument and just lars's drums as well everything about it i just think is astonishing and it really doesn't kind of make sense on the record like you say for a lot of reasons it kind of stands out the fifth track on the first side and you know elsewhere on the record as well um you know songs like whiplash and, and, and jump it's fine pretty much the whole thing quite frankly you can hear cliff all over it uh just kind of not being a, a, a boring root note player uh being that when the song demands it but often you know being off his leash and uh you know just just so happy to be there whiplash for example um you know the epitome of fresh and cliff is just underneath it all keeping it going it's playing immaculate yeah uh, you know again he knew how to serve the song he was you know i mean he um i wouldn't say he was a show-offy player at all because he no. was just his he was so musical um and he added to the the mix with all that stuff um and you know that's the other thing too it's like it he did you know i mean he was very precise but he played with his fingers and if you listen to those that stuff soloed out he's if if you compare cliff to like jason doing uh blackened for instance hmm. uh jason's absolutely more in the pocket but um there's nothing else. He's just, he's kind of serving under head, you know, yeah. bolstering Hetfield sing. Whereas Cliff, he, he does that too with Hetfield, but it swings and it's gnarlier and it's not as precise. I mean, I, I would argue that, you know, Newstead might've been a better technical player or, or Robert. Um, but Cliff was technical. Um, but just, the personality and the art artistry that he brought to those songs is what is so uh, unique. Um, yes. But I love the way that Cliff swings under, like he's always swinging under Hetfield, you know? Mm. Um, 
and even if you can't hear it in the in in the mix of master of puppets or whatever you feel it you know i mean there's just plenty of, a, yeah there's just plenty of subtle dexterity from cliff throughout kill em all like just little moments like um you know i know i know this will be hard to bring to mind for listeners but uh i always notice the guitar solo section in phantom lord around the three minute mark you can hear these short little figures that cliff does high up the fretboard kind of i guess a predecessor to the uh the, the creeping death up there like on the 16th 17th fret however uh and you know he even plays a little chord uh in no remorse at least it sounds like a chord to me uh but it kind of clashes in a, in a really acidic way but again it's just like you say it's very soul probably need these solo tracks to hear it out or a good speaker the production uh the guys themselves have decried um i oh, forget the, what was the producer's name it was like uh um oh on the first one yeah curcio right curcio or something like that uh, yeah, who on cares, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, right. For, forget that guy. Yeah, he ain't, he ain't even Mike Clink level, like. And uh, yeah, I love um, his playing throughout it, and it's just. Uh, I think a lot of the songs, you know, were conceived obviously prior to him joining the band, so we see a more clear blueprint of his influence on on Ride Onwards. But um, but yeah, I mean, this is a masterpiece of a record in my eyes, certainly as an artifact of early Fresh, and we do. You know, this is when the band are born, effectively, and 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 the touring begins, and you know, going out with Raven and 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 that sort of idea. And um, I was reading about the Raven stuff as well. They did the Kill 'Em All for One tour, and, and the, the you know the notorious Winnebago or whatever. And uh, they had all the equipment in there. And one of the Raven guys, they couldn't lock the door or something. They had to go at like seventy miles an hour. So he just got a belt out and like tied himself to a Marshall stack and just fell asleep and hoped that he didn't slide out of the truck. Like these were the early days. Wait, was that Cliff that did that? No, that was just one of the Raven dudes. I think, oh, you know, right, they right, were, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't think Cliff would ever, yeah, he would just stay awake. He'd be too stubborn to sleep. Uh, but, uh, well, and he always had what I love this anecdote that he always had this, uh, ball peen hammer in his, yeah. in his denim jacket. This little that was his defense mechanism, and like everybody said, like he would never like, you know, uh, be violent or anything like that. But he had this little little hammer in his his denim jacket all the time, <laughs> which is hilarious and cute and so cliff man. And uh, just focusing on the tour and Raven, uh, apparently Raven guitarist John Gallagher uh, later described Cliff as, quote, a one-off, a real hippie. I swear, he had this pair of bell-bottoms and one leg had a Black Sabbath patch and the other had a Rush patch. A, uh, <coughs> excuse me. A Rush patch. A really funny guy and a great player. And uh, supposedly Cliff had said, uh, the tour's been good, each day's pretty inebriated, apart from the spliffage. And according to Ron Quintana, uh, Cliff was pretty steady. He wasn't the animal that Lars was or Dave. Uh, you know, he didn't really go in those directions. And um, his stage craft, should we say, aside from the bass playing, the incessant headbanging, it's quite a hypnotic sight, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, he, he was the headbanger as far as I'm concerned. And, yeah. You know there's stories of James looking at over at cliff on stage and like wanting to be like that, you know, but yeah. cliff like did it in halftime, you know, like mm. thrashed his head in halftime, which is like, you just can't be cliff Burton. He was just <laughs> such an original, even in his, you know, stage, like thrash style. And is he, it was, is he the know, most like, famous headbanger? Would you say? 
Just What's like, that? Is he the most famous headbanger? If you're going to do like an example, who's more notorious for it or famous? Oh, I don't. That's a good question. Yeah, um, I think there's a few. Ozzy nods his noggin, apparently, you know, a few times, but. I mean, Tom Araya was pretty badass yeah. before he got his like neck injury. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, but but sorry, sorry, you were, you were saying, you were saying. No, no, that that was all just that you know, like even in his his stage presence, it was unique and unclassifiable, and you couldn't imitate it because he was doing half to you know he was like so in his head. However, the music was affecting him, and he you know he wouldn't do it in like quarter notes; he'd do it in like whole notes or whatever. It's <laughs> just wild. And, uh, you know, this was actually on a, on a future tour, but it just gives you an idea of the live Cliff experience. Uh, this is according to John Marshall, who was uh, Cliff's roadie at the time. He says, uh, I remember Cliff once wanted 12 beers on stage at the start of the show on ice, and they were gone by the end of the set, or at least 10 or 11 of them were. But it didn't make him any less of a musician. He could handle it. He drank a lot, but I don't remember ever seeing him get out of control. He had a really weird, funny sense of humor about things. He was generally a good drunk with lots of energy and jumping around and uh, apparently on stage he used to like getting different sounds the power wire fuzz was his thing and he had a red compressor that he used on the solo later on he got into aria basses and he liked them a lot i don't think he tried dozens of different effects and amps just to see what they sounded like he definitely had a sound that he was after which was different to anyone else's and uh i mean th- that sound grows as we get into ride the lightning which um I mean, a masterpiece of a record, um, certainly one of my all-time favorite albums, and one that you know would not be the same without a certain Mr. Burton. Well, he wrote uh, eight, co-wrote eight of the songs, I believe, is the number that I last looked up. I mean, there's only eight songs, yeah, on the record. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so he wrote six of those, I believe. Yeah, co-wrote. Co-wrote, yeah, yeah. He, I mean... But like like was mentioned before, like his you know broadening the guys out into the classical ideas, like hello the opening of the album, like that that's Cliff, right? Like a piece that he wrote on yeah, his, just that uh, little fucking Italian look, you know piazza interlude, like yeah, he had that uh, guitar tuned down to C sharp, which is yes. the Black Sabbath tuning, um, and uh, yeah, wrote that put that at the top of the record i mean yeah 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 i mean what a statement i know they don't do it anymore but i would love the next metallica record to open with a classical piece i think it would just be such a great nod i'm so sad about that and hardwired i i love hardwired it's my favorite uh metallica record since uh uh justice Damn, but, um, hardwired more than the Black Album. I'm doing it, dude. I'm Damn. doing it. I know that you and and Clint <laughs> and Ethan are getting. You know, we all have different we'll, views, we'll, man. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to re-engage at some point, all of us. But but no, I like I I do love that record. But um, but yeah, I mean I mean I miss all those masterful artistic elements of master of puppets i mean i guess we'll get to that record but you can Mm. go song for song and there's some kind of like artistic idea or different idea that's that's happening there um yeah i miss i miss the classical even when they did uh death magnetic you know and tried to kind of open with that 
Metallica first song kind of sound. It's not, it's not like, you know, master or, uh, a ride or, uh, justice even, you know? No, no. I mean, you know, there really wasn't a bass player like Cliff in 1984, especially. I, I will say like, you know, I, I'm a little disappointed because I really love, um, Robert's con- contribution um with man on kind i think that introduction is fabulous and beautiful and and they just rip it off you know they don't uh expound on it and that's what metallica's been missing since cliff died you know experimenting in these like nether worlds um and i thought that robert's uh composition at the top of man on kind is was uh cliff worthy for sure and yes. they just didn't work with it enough yeah it's it unfortunate did, it did have some cliffness to it and it, it reminded me of um a lot of people said the same thing my friend of misery which again feels a bit cliffy that intro riff like you know may, maybe from agents of misfortune days or whatever when he was more just you know a bit dronier but it certainly feels like the middle bit of orion that uh you know his guitar teacher mentioned before i mean so many highlights on ride the lightning truly uh, just when you're considering Cliff as well. But I guess Bells and Cthulhu, where the wah, you know, comes out of it. I think Cthulhu in particular, just, it, you could you could dub a Godzilla film with the squelches that Cliff gets in that. They're just so monstrous. They're such squalls. It's like, it, you know, he was a real soundscapist as well as being a real technician. Yes, he was. And that, again, is what we're missing from Metallica currently. I think. <laughs> oh, they're not going to let Rob do any of that stuff. He's like, you know, no. I wish they would. But, you know, uh, yeah, that's another topic. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, McIver, I was reading his book recently and talks about, you know, like uh, Call of Cthulhu sort of being like the sequel to uh, Pulling Teeth. Mm. And that it's kind of like when when Cliff comes in with the, you know, the squall, uh, you know, those kind of noises, yeah. it, it, it's almost a bass solo. I, you could listen to it as a bass solo. Definitely. It's mean, just so he's going for it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just so much on this record it's you know 47 minutes of of perfection and it was just them you know developing uh quicker and quicker and uh i mean ride for you like do you rank that particularly high is that in the top three metallic albums is it your favorite or oh yeah yeah it's up there um it's not master of puppets to me mainly because i think that some of the lyrics are a little cheesy um yeah, that's kind of the, the, the my main criticism of that record is I don't think lyrically is it's as sophisticated as Master. Um, but yeah, it's it's top three for sure. You know, there's a lot of uh, bands, you know, that Cliff was in. And lest we forget when he was in Metallica, he was also with Spastic Children. Who uh, did you um, what experience did you have we as a, as a fan at the time of them kind of, you know, quasi existing? Were you aware that they were a thing or? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I was, mm. um, you know, that was post or I became aware of it, you know, post master of puppets. Um, 
Yeah, I don't I don't give put too much stock into spastic children. I mean, I think it's no, I mean, aside. That, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a name <laughs> but, uh, from a different era. Like, yeah, it's like kind of this like off color humor, uh, experimental, drunken, you know, stuff. I'm again, I'm sure there was it was probably a blast, and I was in bands like that when I was in you know that age. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, spastic children. Spastic. I'd like to get a T-shirt. That would be a cool. That would be a cool shirt to rock at a uh, rock at a concert, along with like your, you know, metal your podcast Paul shirt or something like that, like some some, <laughs> deep, some deep cut uh, reference. But yes, yeah, Spastic Children, like you say, they were just kind of inebriated posse of of brethren. Uh, according to uh, Harold Omian, uh, James McDaniel was on guitar. James Hetfield played drums. Cliff played bass, and Fred sang. And that was the first lineup. Uh, apparently, it was influenced by Scott Ian of Amphrax, who had uh, Stormtroopers of Death, which were a big influence on Spastic Children. The first gigs were total word of mouth. They had 50, maybe 75 people there at the most. All their song I- titles came from point of view of a child, so it was all toilet humour. Here are some of the song titles that Spastic Children have played. I Like Farts, Puss Is Great, Dirtbag Baby, Benefit Baby. They even had a song called Cunt, apparently. Don't forget uh, bra section too. Bra, okay, bra section. Uh, I, I, I think there are recordings of Spastic Children, and if there are, we're going to listen to some right now. Cool. All right, and um, Cliff uh, spoke of Spastic Children, which is wild. We don't have many Cliff interviews, but he did uh, mention about. It. He says, uh, "Quote: That's an excuse to bash a few and drink a few. You know, Spastic Children are a bunch of fucking assholes. It's probably best <laughs> if we don't talk about them. Then everyone else right. is going to ask me about it, right? Every time I go into an interview, I'll be like, oh, what's this? Forget about it. We're not so worried about much of anything. It's just something to do, you know, on a Tuesday night. We don't have anything else to do. No big deal. So, yeah, they played the occasional gig in 1984. Um, you know, they'd, uh, cut, they'd sort of um, play songs on a boombox as well. One of their most popular songs was called The, ba- the Ballad of Harold O, which is about uh, Harold that I mentioned before. And he said that was a funny thing. They were practicing the shed at the back of James's house just for fun to let off steam and pass the time while they were bored at home, which is an amazing thought. How could Metallica be sitting bored at home? I have trouble picturing that. Anyway, I happened to be at one of their <coughs> practices. They were playing this weird, humorous bass line. And Fred started saying these horrible things. It snowballed from there. And when it came time for them to actually do a show, it was one of their more popular songs. It was the encore. And apparently Cliff came up with the music for the whole song. Uh, he says, it was really funny. We were just ad-libbing shit. Uh, we teased Harold a lot and he didn't mind. Uh, that was the point. Uh, he danced all over the place. And uh, yeah, it was just this little thing that the guys did, you know, in the Back to the Front hardcover book. There's a lot of stuff on it as well. But, um, you know, a, a, a treat, isn't it? Just a nice little kind of uh, inside of baseball, I suppose, for Metallica fans that Cliff and James did this. Yeah, it's super, super fun. You know, they're just regular guys in a neighborhood, in a community and, you know, doing this stuff when they're not, you know, about to explode into mainstream consciousness, yeah. you know. It's a yeah, absolutely cool, cool stuff. And uh, I mean that explosion is sparked a lot by uh, by Master, right? I mean, uh, very much their definitive record. Um, talked about Cliff on Master. Like, what what have you found listening to those solo tracks? Anything stick out? You know, I think it's it's more of this the the same uh, from Ride, um, mm. except that I think he even got more specific with what he was doing like played the song even more um you know uh 
didn't have so much to prove perhaps. Um, but he's still like super busy in the best, like melodic harmonic kind of way on that record. Um, and you know, I mean, Orion is, uh, you know, uh, ap- absolute classic and, um, they've never done anything like that. <clears throat> they they hadn't done anything like that up till that point and they've never done anything like that since. And I think that's the defining song of Metallica of that era. Um, and why they, if Cliff was still with them, I argued that they would have been the next Pink Floyd, <laughs> but, uh, sadly he didn't have anything left to contribute after his death. So, you know, Cliff spoke specifically about Orion and when he came home from Coke, Copenhagen uh Lou Martin this is him speaking says I remember Cliff coming home with a tape he goes listen to this it was Orion the slow part do you hear that he said hear what they took my bass lines Cliff had written these slow melodic lines for himself to be played just on the bass but they wound up as guitar harmonies layered on top of each other and you know that's what you don't realize like Orion's really the song that keeps giving like um you know I know for example when I heard the bass solo the proper bass solo i didn't really think it was the bass. I don't know. I had kind of juvenile ears, and I sort of just thought, oh, it's a kind of sludgy guitar or something. But obviously, that is Cliff on the bass. But the fact that you know they take everything from him, it just makes Orion such an elevated, magnificent piece of work, isn't it? It's ornate almost. It it, it feels royal in the best possible way. It, it's just enchanting. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, royal, enchanting. Uh, people talk about the majesty of yes, it. Yes, yes. And and I think that's yeah, that's unique to that song um for sure and in in that record it just shows such a i mean you know when i heard master puppets for the first time it was still revolutionary to me i'd never heard anything like it um but then when you break out orion that midsection on the seventh song and it's just absolutely something different than they've done the whole rest of the record um, and you know, that's why they excelled at that point. And, and I really did. I, I, I thought that they were going to be Pink Floyd. You know, I thought their next record would be the wall, um, just because of all the ideas crammed into master and the, and the fantastic songwriting. And, um, I, I just thought if they took that, if they you know, went beyond master. I mean, I think they decided like we can't top master. I think if they had cliff with them, I mean, can you imagine what, what, uh, justice justice would be like the final version of justice. Yeah. If cliff had con- contributed, well, they wouldn't have turned I mean, him, they would wouldn't be... have turned him down. You'd have to hear him at least. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, do, are you, do, I personally feel this way that like, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It, the, I mean, the, the horrible thing, like you say, yeah, is we'll never know the actual next Metallica album, as it were, with, with Cliff, like what it actually would have sounded yeah. like. Do you ascribe to the theory that, you know, the, the, the claustrophobia uh, of justice, the confrontation, um, you know, is that kind of uh, a, a symptom of them mourning in a way, kind of mourning Cliff through the music and it becoming very uh, tense? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I mean, they, they gave Jason a long leash on garage days, which is a yeah. great record. Um, I mean, crash, and, uh, crash course is like, that's the loudest the bass has ever been on a Metallica record. Like, right, right. Yeah. I, I think what happened after Cliff died is that, you know, um, 
Lars and 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 uh, James and and uh, Kirk to a degree, maybe um, they had to take the bull by the horns at that point, and so they did what they knew best, which is you know, I mean, Ulrich and and, and Hetfield are are Metallica, arguably, you know, anybody else can kind of come and go. I mean, um, but, uh, and they just didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have somebody like Cliff. I mean, they had this new guy, Jason Newstead, who was hanging in there and just trying to learn these difficult parts, but there's absolutely no counterpoint on that record. And they probably, as far as the bass is concerned, and, and they, probably dictated to Jason, I would think like, just keep it straight and simple. I mean, they had those arguments with cliff along the way too, I think. And I think they finally were at a place where like Hetfield could really lead the, the charge. And, um, that, that's just what they knew. I mean, I, this whole idea of like lowering <clears throat> Jason's bass playing just because they were assholes. I, I, I you know, why, why didn't they do that on Garage Days? I mean, I think that was just like an aesthetic choice they kind of took. You know, maybe there's some of that um, subconsciously happening, but I don't really buy that conspiracy theory so much. I think it was just finally, you know, it was James and, and, and Lars were in charge, you know, and they didn't have Cliff to answer to. So they just kind of did it the way that they knew, knew how to do it. And they're great band leaders to begin with, so... What's the problem, you know? <clears throat> Though I don't think it's as good of a record as, as Master, it, but it's still, a, you know, heavy metal classic. Oh, oh God. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting, um, not only musically, what Cliff introduced the guys to, but just thematically as well, culturally. He was a big Dungeons & Dragons player. Uh, he loved H.P. Lovecraft as well. Uh, and obviously got all the guys into that and um, you know we have well, we've had Call of Cthulhu to begin with and then the thing that should not be and he actually spoke about this song and said uh, it was another portion of the Call of Cthulhu like mythos it's about huge guys marching around huge fuckers so big they compete with buildings in size and uh, yeah Kirk also got into a lot of stuff they, they roomed a lot together you know they became very close friends by that and supposedly Cliff was playing the guitar all the time as well like he'd be trying to sleep Kirk on the bed next to him and <laughs> Cliff would just obnoxiously have his practice amp out and Skinner playing just trying to work out some riff or whatever which uh, you know again he was just an avid player and uh, you know a student of the thing and um, I mean I mean Master is our last taste of Cliff it's where people last got to see him I mean um, when did you start seeing the band did you see them on this Aussie support or yeah, I did. Oh I my saw him, god, you uh, were there on the master. You've yeah, seen yeah, Cliff. Yep. You've actually seen Cliff. I've, I've seen Cliff. Yeah, I saw oh. him once. Tell me everything. Do you, what, what do you, what do you uh, remember? I barely remember. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure. You yeah. know, it was. I, it I was just so long discovered ago. them. <laughs> yeah, they were the new, you know, kids in town, and uh, uh, it, you know, it was just. It was almost more of an identity thing to be there. I mean, they still were like confusing to me in a way, you know, and, and, you know, didn't have the sonics of the Aussie set mm. or anything like that. They, you know, they blasted through 50 minutes worth of material and, um, I was happy to be there and I, I, I wasn't really a studied musician at that point. So, um, it was more of an experiential 
kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, they just tore it up, you know, they, um, made a huge impression on everybody. And, um, yeah, I mean, we weren't there for Ozzy. I'll tell you that much. We were there for Metallica. I mean, Ozzy was smart though, wasn't it? Because it, it's such a thing for the, you know, the support band to be mistreated. Like I read a great book recently about the early days of Van Halen and Boston and Journey treated them like shit on, on their early days and stuff in the sheds. <laughs> um, there's a really good story as well. I won't quote it at length, but basically it's um, Steve Perry gets covered in guacamole by Eddie Van Halen and uh, Noel Monk has to like dry Steve Perry as he's crying and like reassure him. It's quite a surreal tale. Did you see them at uh, the UIC Pavilion? Uh, Metallica? Yeah, that's the Chicago. I mean, I'm assuming you lived in Chicago 30 years ago, but uh, where, yeah, where, no. is that when you saw them? No. No. No, I haven't I haven't seen them since uh, 1988, 89. Oh, no, sorry. I'm, I'm saying uh, on, the, on the Damage Inc. tour. Um, oh, no, I saw them in Peoria, Illinois, at okay. the Peoria Civic Center. Oh, Peoria mm-hmm. Civic Center. God damn. Oh, man, all these dates they were at. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to find your uh, the, the exact set list. But they were, you know, it was just playing a, a pretty standard one. Uh, yeah, there it is. July 15th, 1986. So That um, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, is it Peoria? Yeah, it is. The Civic Center, yeah. Oh, July 15th. God. Holy crap. Holy shit. What'd they play? Uh, I can't seem to find the exact set list on here, but there's certainly a kind of composite of what they would normally do on the Aussie tour. And there's loads of good yeah. cliff stories on the Aussie tour as well. Like, you know, apparently they, yeah. always, they always wanted to spend time with Aussie. And he right. thought, thought they were taking the piss out of him by, like, sound checking his music and stuff. And obviously Aussie was in his kind of... You know, when he looked like a kind of 50-year-old British granny sort of face, like he looked odd, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? He has that kind of uh, peroxide hair and those wide... I, I, don't yeah. know, I don't know what's going on. But yeah, apparently um, everyone had left the bus at some stop or whatever, and Cliff was mm. just chilling in, in uh, on the table in the, uh, in the bus. And uh, Ozzy came on, and they just had a moment together and a little one-to-one, little commune. And then there was another time where Cliff was asleep in his hotel room, Bang on the door, it's Sharon Osbourne. Have you seen Ozzy? He's gone on one of his rampages, and Cliff's like, no, sorry, whatever. <laughs> and then Ozzy climbs out from under Cliff's bed. Ozzy had passed right. out under there, which just, <laughs> again, seems, uh, seems it doesn't seem too ridiculous to be true, actually. This guy bit a bat off his head and, uh, you know, uh, had uh, Gus G in his band. So Ozzy's done some mad things. I was going to say the, the great extra part of, of the uh, Cliff meeting Ozzy on the tour bus was that they smoked a joint together and oh, like right. the rest of the guys came on the bat on the bus and cliff had this shit eating grin on his face they were like what's going on he's like i just smoked a joint with ozzy and then like lars and 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 uh hetfield were like aghast like oh my god you're not you know they were so scared of like <laughs> ozzy's handling of course it would be cliff you know to be the one who kind of like broke through you know uh the restriction and yeah. smoked a joint with ozzy so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, to be a fly on the wall there or to, to have some sort of recording or just... Because, I mean, yeah, obviously Cliff worshipped Black Sabbath like they all did. 
and uh, what a break for them to be on that tour. And there's so many good photos in that book. Of um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look, I don't know what you actually look like, but I'll try and look out for you next time I look at it. I'll be like, there might be a Peoria shot. Yeah, it could possibly be. There's, but it was a long tour looking at actually. Um, they what was it? It was uh, 144 dates in total. They did 96 oh. in North America, 41 in Europe, five in Asia. Um, well, Japan specifically. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad that the final leg, the European leg, they played my hometown of Birmingham. They played the uh, the Birmingham Odeon Theatre, where um, Black Sabbath had played many times. Van Halen had played stuff like that. not currently a cinema. Like uh, before, I was born, it was it was changed. But um, but yeah, there weren't many dates left until Cliff's final show, uh, the Solna Hallen show. And um, I mean, Reed, we all know what happens next, right? Hmm. I mean, your science class certainly knows. Yeah. Right. 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 I didn't make a big stink of it. It was kind of a quiet sort of, <laughs> a sniffle. You know, thing for me, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, tragedy, tragedy strikes. I mean, yeah, I mean, just just pure and and agonizing, and I mean, just so unbelievable, really. Kind of like the you know the, the Skinner crash or the day the music died, or you know, I know accidents do happen every day. Touch wood, but it's just. You know, so painful. We all know the story as well. Um, they were drawing spades, right, or something like that. Him and Kirk, they were drawing cards to see who would get the bunk. And Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades, <laughs> man. Lemon. Yeah, he. Yeah, I, I think Kirk won with the Ace of Spades or something like. I don't know yes. cards, but yeah, yeah, he got the top bunk. And it was a switcher, switcheroo. Yeah. Mm. Jeez, it's just. Uh, I mean, the the black ice. You know, the driver. It's it's like the Kennedy assassination. It's never going to be quite clear exactly what went down there, you know. Right. I mean, well, you know, and that's what's so fascinating about Metallica as a subject matter. You know, is it is the Cliff Burton tragedy? Is the James Hetfield going to rehab? You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it is a really unique um, kind of uh, rock and roll narrative that group in general yeah yeah it's 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 the soap opera (laughs) yeah yeah no it completely is and um i mean just to focus on uh what happened beforehand so that they you know they played the gig um james was back on guitar because the skateboarding accident had happened before but this was Mm -hmm. uh you know him i think it was yeah his first gig back on guitar and john marshall was on the road of duties the set list was pure 1986 battery into master Bells, Sanitarium, right? Oh my God! Cliff Solo leading into Whiplash. Uh, Thing that should not be Fade, Seek, Creeping Death, Four Horsemen, Kirk Solo, Am I Evil, Damage Inc. and Blitzkrieg. Um, this is from John McIver's book. After the Stockholm show, the band and crew boarded two tour buses and a truck, leaving the venue separately over a couple of hours. The band settled down to sleep for overnight uh, for over for the overnight drive for the next gig in Copenhagen. Never an easy task, as the beds are essentially boards covered with slabs of foam. It's long been rumoured that to settle the question of who should get the bed that was marginally more comfortable than the others, Kirk and Cliff cut a deck of cards. But it's never been confirmed this actually took place until now. It's absolutely true. 
Kirk confirmed to uh, Joel McIver. It absolutely happened, yeah. Just another weird, ironic sort of thing that destiny kind of spits at you. It was almost a harbinger of what was to come. Uh, Cliff took the bunk on the right-hand side of the tour bus next to a window. The bus rumbled on into the Swedish countryside. And that concludes the chapter from Joel. And yeah, I don't want to get into the gory details, but, you know, Cliff was, was, was taken from this world. I mean, someone who... I only want to say showed promise, delivered, like, you know, wrote incredible stuff. Like, it's not a lost star in that way that he never fulfilled his potential. It's just, you know, where would he have gone? Like, Randy Rhodes is another example. And I know he wanted to leave Ozzy uh, even before the plane <laughs> crash and kind of, you know, pursue more classical ideas. Could you, let's just talk hypothetics for a minute. Like, would Cliff have ever left Metallica if he lived? Um... Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, hard, a hard question to I, answer. I, I hope not. You know, you, you're working with like two of the greatest songwriters that ever lived, which is, you know, Hetfield and Ulrich. And, you know, I liken them to like a Lennon McCartney kind of thing in, as far as metal is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I, th I, I, I think we would have gotten some really interesting music and i think uh, you know i i hate to say it um <laughs> i'm not a load reload person i've really tried to be especially because i know clinton ethan oh, yeah. like those records i've really well, gone well, out of Clint, my way Cl clint's forced ethan to like them i think that's kind of how it goes ah right? yeah 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 i can see that but um but i'd, I'd love, love to talk to those guys about this kind of stuff because you know they came uh, upon metallica at a different time and yada yada but um but yeah, I mean, uh, you, uh, you look at there, there's an interview after that Agents of Misfortune footage um, mm. that somebody from their high school or something is doing. And Cliff is talking and she's asking his influences. And he says, you know, the usual suspects, but also uh, the Velvet Underground. And I think it was like 1981 when this interview happened. Yeah. I mean, the Velvet Underground, I, I didn't find out about them until after I discovered Metallica, like 1989. Like, um, and uh, I just think that with Cliff's musical breadth, that um, if they did something sort of like Load or even like the Black Album, I mean, can you imagine if, if again, like if Cliff played on the Black Album, Jeez. it would be, it, it would have been as good and commercial and all that kind of thing, but it would have had some, some elements that was just like this, this band is just tire tirelessly innovative. And, uh, they would have been like, you, you know, they would have been like an REM or, or something like that or a pink Floyd or whatever. And they're still a great band, but I think that, you know, like this whole idea of like, the new century of Metallica with Death Magnetic and, and Hardwired, it's like, oh, they're going back to their roots. They would never have had to go back to their roots. I think they would have just I don't I don't think Cliff would would have had a problem like selling more records. I just think that he would have brought more musical depth to what they were putting out in the world. And they would have been a classic band that could stand against Led Zeppelin. And I honestly you know, hardwired to self-destruct. I don't, I love that record. It's not as good as houses of the Holy. <laughs> Sorry, but right. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> I, it's That's kind of my big, yeah. Miffy, Miffy, uh, cliff kind of thing. Like <laughs> Miff, Miff, but yeah, 
Myth, myth burden, yeah. Myth burden, yeah. No, I, that, that, yeah, it's, it's fun to consider that, actually. And, you know, uh, Load and Reload, they're low-key, like, Cliff albums. Like, I know he never wrote stuff like that, but he certainly loved that type of music. Like, you know, that, that like, whether he would be as comfortable as doing it, I don't know. But, you know, he, he, he didn't seem at odds with it at all. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the deal is, is that, you know, like, back in Master of Puppets era, like, Kirk and Cliff and James and Lars were all, they were kind of like the Beatles, you know, they each had like an equal imprint on that music and influence on that music. Um, and that stopped happening, uh, with the bass players in Metallica when, when, uh, justice came on, as far as I'm concerned, like recording wise, you know, um, there's no longer that other element that, that Cliff provided, and I think Load and Reload would have been really, could have been really exciting records, you know, and Kurt probably wouldn't pl- wouldn't have played so much bullshit rhythm guitar on it. Sorry to say, but not a fan. <laughs> once once Kurt became a rhythm guitar player, I kind of like, I, I tapped out. Um, that loved, was it. It wasn't, it, wasn't, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the haircuts. It was the, yeah, the slide. Well, it was the haircuts too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Cliff, I mean, I, no, Cliff would have never cut his hair. I do not think he would have ever cut his hair on principle. Well, maybe he would have, but he wouldn't have like you know tongue kissed Lars Ulrich and, I, and, and no. made some kind of <laughs> made some kind of statement like that. Like, I don't think. Yeah, I think Cliff. They started making a lot of bad moves. I I, I argue like even starting with Justice, like the press photos for Justice, they're all wearing these like black shades, like kind of trendy black shades. It was just a far cry from like this band that was like had this punk ethos and like kind of like street cred and, you know, wore what they went up on stage in. I'm, I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but like that has a lot of, you know, uh, influence on a 14 year old kid who lives in the midwest that it's like people that you can kind of relate to somehow um and uh i think the rock star bullshit that they went through with load and and reload um yeah i I think it would have been different put it that way yeah it would have been yeah certainly um punctured uh by cliff and, and you know i mean it, it, it's all what ifs isn't it and and, and part of saying, yeah, yeah part yeah. of saying that is just you know partly it's us mourning the guy you know in a way and just just wishing uh in in, in some way that it could have went a different direction obviously the band did go on um you know they reconvened after the funeral in early october and sort of asked each other what would cliff wanted to have done it didn't take long for them to reach the answer that obviously would want them to uh, continue. We would have been furious with them if they didn't. Lars actually said later, quote, I know that Cliff, more than anyone else in the band, would have been the first guy to give us a kick in the ass and wouldn't want us to sit around. It's what he would have wanted to do. And Kirk said, we each thought individually uh, that we have to keep on going. We have to work because it wouldn't be fair to Cliff to just stop. Also, if he were alive but he couldn't play bass for some reason or other, he wouldn't tell us to stop. That's the way he would have felt. He would have wanted us to go on. If we'd hung it up, Cliff would have been so pissed off. And, um, I mean, obviously, continue they did. And on the Jason Newstead episode of this series, uh, we go in depth on, uh, you know, him joining the band and, and the audition and, you know, Flotsam and kind of, you know, him being a giant Metallica fan and whatever like that. Uh, so go and check that out there. But, uh, but yeah, 
enter Jason, and um, I, I love Jason. You know who doesn't? But um, like you said before, he's. And this is kind of a weird thing to say. He is a musical dude, but any of his like creative musical projects, I'm not really that interested in. I think he's a brilliant player and a great expressor on the instrument, but I'm more interested here, like Cliff's jams, you know, than than Jason's noodles. Yeah, man. I I don't want to say anything bad about Jason, and you know, because uh, he picked it up, and they and and Metallica, they went forward. I, I mean, I so grateful that they did and and um they absolutely should not have given it up and uh jason was kind of another example of like being like a kid like me you know like this dream idea of like being in metallica you know um and i think that's one of the reasons you know why the music changed or wasn't didn't have the breath is because jason kind of came it seems to me more from like a lars and James kind of background, whereas Cliff brought this whole other, you know, lifetime of seventies music with his, his older yeah. brother and all this kind of thing. So, um, I, I love James and, and you know what, uh, James or I'm sorry, uh, Jason, uh, was the best backup vocalist by far. Cliff sucked. Rob's okay. I mean, Rob's okay. Cliff. Uh, I don't, I don't. And, and Kirk's okay. Cliff did it. I don't. Uh, did he? I don't remember any recording of that. But I, maybe I just wasn't listening. Well, live he he would live, yeah. he barks out the stuff. Like he kind of okay. has that like death metal. Like I almost wonder if he invented death metal. Cliff. I <laughs> don't know much about I that. Mean, yeah, yeah. He's the producer. I don't know much about that genre. Mm. But but uh, as a live performer and taking them onto the next stage, yeah, you know, uh, Newstead, and you know they. I'm I'm kind of sorry that they don't have a really great backup vocalist because that's such a huge part of Metallica is, is the harmony vocal stuff that they can do. Um, it's not really represented. Cliff couldn't do it, and Robert, you know, is trying his best, but um, <laughs> you know, but but Jason could do that, and so uh, you know, respect. Yeah, no, James and Jason is like, uh, you know, Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley. Like, their voices just blend. They're almost like a third voice together. Like like when the Beatles yeah. sing as well. Like, it just becomes something else. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I like what you're saying as well about Jason was a kind of James and Lars guy, which you're completely right. And, you know, that's what they needed at that time. They weren't the kind of, you know, the development stage are kind of calcified and they kind of were Metallica and they're pushing into a heavy direction. They wouldn't have time, I don't think, for someone like cliff who kind of had more artistic aspirations but cliff still stayed on topic like i can't imagine cliff ever dragging them too far like dudes we've got to do a nine minute one note bass solo to open the new record like he was kind of you know he was serving the song in the best possible way that all bassists do and um jason would say that cliff is one of the top five electric bassists in electric music that will ever live um you put him up there with like jeff berlin and stanley clark and and yucko or jacko however you want to say that who who obviously rob loves as well um i mean what compare rob to cliff like do you how do they differ between uh cliff and jace um i think rob i you know um and again, I, I like no disrespect. These guys are all like, oh, cool. yeah, so so great. Um, but yeah, I think um, Jay, Jason was kind of following the formula behind 
James and I wish that Jason, I know he had like a lot to contribute. Like he had lots of raw material that they, they didn't use and they were probably just working too fast to like consider that kind of stuff. But, um, I would love to see what he could have done. Um, if he given more of a leash, I mean, you know, and then after like his bass isn't even heard in justice, like Bob Rock is producing and probably telling him to like keep everything simple so that he can put an orchestra on top or whatever. So I, I feel like Jason never really got, was able to express himself in that band. Um, Rob, I, I think, you know, is a little more of a swinging kind of bass player. It's got like a, maybe a, a larger palette. Um, you know, I think Jason was a metalhead and probably had, I'm um, surely had tons of other influences, but, um, you know, Rob was into funk, was into this, was into that. I think, you know, Rob might have a little more, um, uh, yeah, colors in his, uh, thing, but, but at the same time, Rob doesn't even really step. I mean, they let him step out. It's like, oh, you can do this riff now and it's just bass, but it's not Cliff Burton bass. It's not. I, I feel like um, the bass players in Metallica have been, you know, shut down. They've got kind of the system down. And I don't know if there's a lot of encouragement for uh, creativity. And, you know, frankly, like hearing uh, Kirk's solos over the last several years, I love Kirk Hammett to death, worship the guy. But listen to the Kirk solos and on ride and on master and just they're unbelievable, weird. You don't even know how to process them. Yeah. And they're, you know, there it's not four guys like as a creative unit, like it was in 86. It's no, two guys. I, and then, yeah, I, I hate modern Kirk solos for the most part. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I just sorry i went on a little tan or you know hey no no that's what this episode is like yeah no um, uh there is uh out there as well if you want to um you know uh play in memory if you want to tribute to cliff cliff has his own signature bass uh you know as people know guitarists and bassists and whatever have their own equipment this is january 2013 this happened uh the guitar manufacturer aria revealed through metallica's official website that will be releasing a replica of burton's bass called the aria pro 2 cliff burton signature bass uh they got permission from burton's family and from metallica and it was unveiled at nam uh in january 2013 apparently um ray was there uh, he attended the press conference and he signed autographs and he spoke about Cliff's life and uh, his instrument. Rob was there and uh, apparently he, he was the first one to try out the bass and he played parts of uh, Anesthesia, Pulling Teeth. And uh, Ray said, what a beautiful instrument and a wonderful tribute to Cliff. And yeah, it's an odd looking thing. I mean, yeah, it looks like the stuff you would see on like, the sort of Damage Justice. It's kind of um, got like SG devil horn sort of scoop shape with uh, an, uh, some... Um, pearl inlays on the fretboard you can use even though I, I play guitar avidly i can't really speak about instruments i don't uh have that sort of vocabulary yeah. there but um but yeah it's a very nice looking thing and it has the signature on the back from cliff and you can buy it for just under four grand uh great british pounds ha! so that would, yeah yeah that would be um a little bit more for you guys over there i'm looking at the website now it says free next day delivery in the uk god if only i had a better patreon I'd be pressing that button right now. Uh, support us on Patreon, <laughs> by the way. But uh, but yeah, Cliff having an instrument there, and let's just talk about you know the the kind the kind of legacy of of Cliff. 
I mean, he is one of those touchstones, isn't he? I think his his light has not dimmed, uh, you know, through death. Right. And, you, you know, I think that's one of the things that really impressed me as a 14 year old kid um, was that you you got that sense of Cliff. I mean, besides we we've talked about his, you know, musicianship. Um, we know what that's all about, but there was also this like, I not spiritual, but like ethical kind of like thing about the guy. Like he just mm. like came across as like a straight shooter and, uh, somebody who was more mature than like all the metal heads that I hung out with, you know, like we were all raging scumbags primarily, but you know, it, uh, Cliff Burton had, a there was a statesmanship about him, which you can just see in the visual stuff. And, um, also the, you know, that whole thing about the, the flared pants and everything like the bell bottoms, he, you know, he was an iconoclast. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. he didn't give a fuck. And, and, and that was different than he was above and beyond the metal community, I guess is my point. And we recognize that as young kids, like, um, and you saw it in Hetfield's pose next to Cliff, you know, it was just like real integrity. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, there's a million great bass players and I would never diminish his influence on bass playing in general because it's immense, but, uh, it was kind of like, this was just like a good person. And I think that that is you know, the most salient kind of like takeaway from this. It's like, we can't all be like maestros, but we can be like cool people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was mainly just like a cool dude and like, you know, a leader and, and, uh, led this band, you know, he just like, when he died, he like set them, you know, sailing. Um, and I don't know that the band, you know, uh, just a you know a real iconic type person. I think that's the yeah, main point. Yeah, no, no, he is uh, goes about saying a legend, and um, you know, obviously there were and continue to be tributes to the man in many forms. Uh, a non-metallica tribute to him, uh, I guess, in certain ways, is uh, the Megadeth song "In My Darkest Hour," which, uh, according to Mustaine, hearing of Burton's death, obviously they were friends. Uh, he sat down and wrote the music for the song in one sitting. The lyrics aren't about Cliff Burton, so to speak, but kind of thematically the song draws from that. Have you heard that song? Sorry, in my dark star. Are you a Megadeth fan or? Yeah, yeah, I've heard it. Um, not, not for twenty years, probably. I didn't mm. know it was about Cliff. I'll yeah. listen to it tonight. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a good track actually. Um, it's a bit more slower pace for Megadeth, a bit more um patient. Uh, and uh, I the... like I like Megadeth. I do like them. I I love Megadeth. I really do. Yeah. Uh, early Megadeth, kind of for me, up until about '94, Euthanasia. That's when I lose interest. But I love the early stuff. Yeah, uh, Rust in Peace. I think is the oh last one God. where I stopped. Rust in Peace, yeah. is a master, Cla- classic, 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 definitely classic. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, on October third, two thousand six, Memorial Stone was unveiled in Sweden uh, near the scene of the fatal crash. And uh, the the lyrics uh, cannot the kingdom of salvation take me home from live is to die uh, written on the Burns Memorial Stone. Of course, to live is to die as well. Read like uh, you know, a brilliant tribute. The book itself is that what you're talking about? Oh, sorry, I mean the song. I mean the book as well, I guess. Oh, but, uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, 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 the yeah, song. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, great, great tune. Um, yeah, the last great Metallica instrumental. I love Suicide and Redemption. I really do, but uh yeah again uh yeah it's a it's a good song i mean to me it it doesn't meet the majesty of orion but it's a beautiful tune and you know in respect to cliff um you know he didn't really write all those he wrote like two lines of that song that little (laughs) you know that little quatrain or whatever they call that of lyrics is from like a movie that peter o'toole was in but um a little bit of nostalgia there with like Cliff's last lyrics. He wrote, you know, he, uh, you know, I don't remember Cliff as a lyricist. Let's put it that way. But uh, no, but a great tribute, great song, great record. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Punishing as you know, as Cliff could be musically, but it also has moments of intense reflection and and that kind of fade out to the arpeggios is just wonderful and always gets me in a kind of mm. mournful, elegiac mood. Uh, Among the Living, Anthrax's album was dedicated to him. Uh, Metal Church did the same with The Dark. Of course, Cliff was mm. uh, posthumously uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, with all the fellow members, and Ray Burton was there. And uh, he, apparently he said that Cliff's mother was Metallica's biggest fan as well, which is lovely. And, uh, I mean, you know... Cliff continues to ring through. I mean, you mentioned you hadn't seen the band, you know, for many years. But when I saw them in Birmingham on the Worldwide Tour, uh, October 30th, 2017, there was an anesthesia interlude. And they showed the classic images of Cliff blown up at Day on the Green, you know, all denim and hair. And people Mm. cheered, you know, from the bottom of their hearts. Like, this man means so much to so many. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was he was one of the guys that pushed it through. I mean, I'm sure all those guys would say that. Like I said, you know, in the early 80s, the, the you know, we regarded the Metallica like the Beatles. I mean, they each had their own kind of specific personality, the way they dressed, um, the way they talked, their interests, all that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, the, that... I think that's why during like the load reload era, I, 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 you know, I I was in college at that point and making videos with, you know, all those kind of like high flutin sort of like overly wrought kind of rock and roll kind of things. You know, it just didn't, it, it, it didn't resonate with me when I was 22, the way it resonated when I was 20 or when I was 14 and these guys had no videos They, you know, it was all word of mouth. Um, 
And I think there's really something to be said about that. And I don't want to be one of these OG. Is that the word that everybody uses? Yeah, trues. Like OG I guess. Well, yeah, yeah, trues. Because I I love Metallica and like you know we I could do a whole another episode on James Hetfield and his influence on me currently as a middle aged guy. Um. So, but I think that there was something going on back then, and and you know. I had friends that listened to punk rock music and I liked metal and, you know, um, Metallica was a confluence of that and bringing people together. And it was a different sort of zeitgeist that was going on before they sort of like smashed into MTV, um, which I think is, you know, one's not better than the other, but I think it's worth, you know, uh, taking into account you know their their early influence like more underground kind of thing yeah know? and uh, i guess uh, another thing to mention as well in terms of the um memoriams uh cliffhamall the vhs did you did you own that back in the day oh yeah for sure oh, what, what a release <laughs> I, don't, I don't have it anymore no i bet yeah but... but yeah yeah i had it yeah for sure which, uh, yeah, is mostly uh, kind of bootleg footage shot by the fans, some by the band and professionals. And, you know, we've got some of his uh, uh, best bass solos from Cliff. And it's all very, you know, looking back on him. But it's also a great uh, kind of artifact of a certain era for the band. And it gives kind of a rare glimpse into the less documented areas of their career kind of contrasting sharply with the you know metallica business that's in some kind of monster and stuff like that but uh but yeah uh again something people should check out i actually did an episode on the anniversary of cliff's passing a few years ago on the show where i recap all of cliff them all um so definitely go back and check that out but um yeah i think that brings us near enough to the end here reed any, any final thoughts or topics you want to broach on the world of cliff well, I just, you know, like you're talking about Cliff Amal. There was like an era with Metallica that they were just doing everything right and everything cool, you know, before like the, the masses came. And I'm not like, I'm so happy that they're the biggest rock band in the world. Like, I love that. And I love Hardwired. And I'm so glad Metallica exists and that they didn't put it up after Cliff died. Um, though I, I still think that that stuff excels where their current stuff doesn't as much, but it's still great heavy metal. Um, but yeah, just that era of like them doing cliff them all and garage when they brought Jason and garage days revisited and, you know, hearing ride the lightning in 1984 and it being like scary as fuck. Like that, that, that's an element of, I, I was with the, fun, with the Thundercats, able, right? With the Thundercats. Yeah. With the Thundercats. And thankfully I was able to be there, but like, that's a real significant part of their story. And, um, you know, everybody catches, you know, their, their favorite group at different times over the years. But, um, it's, it's, I think it's unique, uh, where Metallica was in the mid eighties, what they were doing. Um, uh, yeah so anyway mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it no no i'm not saying one's better i'm not saying one's better than the other and yeah. i'll talk any era metallica for hours like we're doing now and have 
lots of stuff to say i yeah. love i love that band i love that group of people oh my god they've got the best history like every era is fascinating like it's kind of beatles-esque yeah. like yeah there's no sort of dry patches and uh you know as we always do we reach out on the twitter at metallica pod uh, ask you the question what do you think about cliff burton what do you appreciate about him tommy says absolute legend the way everyone reminisces about him you can just tell that he was a really special guy not to mention his phenomenal status as a bass player i like seemingly countless others started playing bass because of him places uh pieces like anesthesia and orion stare you in the eye and dare you to not want to learn from them dr bass says his masterpiece orion could well be my favorite metallica song if i could ever pin one down for anyone to consider an instrumental as the band's peak when they have a vocalist in james hetfield speaks volumes about what cliff brought to the table it would be fascinating to visit the alternative reality and find out what path metallica would take and the songs they produced if not for that faithful night in 1986 the whole cliff saga brings such an emotion to the band they found the perfect replacement in rob for the irreplaceable cliff Empty Eyes says Cliff Burton gives no fucks about basically anything as evidenced by the fact that he said know what would make my iconic bass intro to Bells even cooler if I put like a million more notes on it while wearing a denim jacket in California in August during Day on the Green. And Frank finally says he redefined what it meant to be a metal bass player and brought a musical sophistication to the band. And uh, yeah, I mean, I echo all those sentiments. I think Cliff is just really is a once in a lifetime sort of human being like someone that continued to learn and just brought so much of his uh passions into you know all he was doing and kind of going back for this kind of bummed me out a little to revisit his life and uh it mm. was tragically cut short but we've still got the music right reed that that's the important thing yeah and i i think what you know that's the idea you know he's he is like this figure in history life was cut down too short but like he lived uh seems like a pretty ethical life and was a great musician and just kind of the guy, kind of guy that any of any of us would want to be around all the time you know? yeah cliff yeah yeah cliff we miss you and uh you know i always found it quite sad that um at the start of back to the front the uh the card the card the hardcover book that I mentioned before, it opens with, um, let me just get it up now so I can read a bit of it. It opens um, with a letter from James, the first thing you read, forward into battle, it says. And uh, his opening yeah. line, capital letters, I miss Cliff. Uh, yeah. Which is just, yeah, and there's a picture of Cliff splayed across his left there of them on stage. And if you're a fan of Metallica, uh, you know who Cliff is. If not, welcome to Metallica's Master of Puppets days, Lars, Kirk, Cliff, and me. And, um, yeah, a, a wonderful little intro there from James, but uh, painful to see how it begins. And, yeah, that kind of brings us pretty much to the end of this uh, mega history on Cliff Burton. I just want to ask you a few questions, Reed, because, uh, you yeah. know, we normally go through these quick fire. We've, we've touched on a few of these topics, but just to um, uh, reappreciate, uh, what's your favourite Metallica song? Orion. Yeah. <laughs> and Ryan is is it's like that tweet said it is mad because James is such a brilliant singer and performer but and you know he performs that song as well but the the cliff parts like are those your favorite parts of the song or no the whole the whole song I mean again mm. it's like I I don't want to outweigh things like and Cliff was like the guy yeah I mean he was the guy but like it was it was the the unity of that those people at that time. I mean, I've, we listened to this record last night, and uh, Master of Puppets, I mean, is an absolute classic. Um, 
I prefer some deep cuts. So I love Orion. I love Leper Messiah and Cliff didn't write that, but you know. Um, oh yeah, you, you can so, hear yeah. him on it though. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you can hear him good on that. Oh one. yeah, he's, he's growling. Doing, doing, doing. Oh man, yeah, he's lurking. Uh, and uh, favorite albums, Master, right? Uh, yeah, I would have to say. Mm-hmm. What about yeah. uh, what about favorite <laughs> member of the band? Um. Uh, th- that's a little harsh. I mean, I I like all of them. I, sure. I like yeah. Robert, oh yeah. Yeah. You know? do, yeah. So everybody, but you know, in in Cliff's absence, um, I, I you know, I got a soft spot for James Hetfield. He's just like such a hero, such an honest, like out front kind of guy. Like he, like he influences the way that I try to live. You know. Yeah, yeah, he is a kind of uh, yeah, a kind of cornerstone, isn't he? Like he's he's, he's someone to keep in mind. Like what would Het do? Uh, I, I certainly ask myself that. And um, well, you yeah. know the other, the the cool thing too about Metallica is that you know it's like I I don't know uh, that they expose themselves to that. And I I don't love that period of music or Metallica as individuals or whatever. But like you know they're you know they're they're like a healing kind of uh entity or something you know like you can just you know latch on to them and and learn some stuff anyway yeah 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 no no certainly and uh um seeing the band live you mentioned you haven't seen them for many years right but you saw them early on right uh master of puppets once that tour and then uh the uh justice tour twice with the cult um opening and i've been trying I, I i was ready to get i i didn't really get back into metallica until i started listening to your podcast and mellow up your oh, podcast right. in like about a year and a half ago and um so i was i was trying to get tickets and of course we're locked down so haven't seen them lately i mean would you go i, I know they've rescheduled some of their festival shows in the u.s next year would would you go to something like that oh yeah definitely can't wait to hear what they sound like now yeah yeah definitely i mean james had a lot of time to uh, reclaim that rust you know i mean he's uh, he's been tinkering i'm certain and uh, james has gotten so much better yeah 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 they yeah. all have they all have you know oh yeah oh yeah no, they're re-energized and um what about if you were to do a podcast like alpha metallica about another band that you loved what, what what's a band or bands you'd like to cover uh maybe tom waits <laughs> hello <laughs> i haven't li- dude i haven't listened i haven't even i'm kind of new to podcasts so i haven't even listened to your tom waits podcast but oh. i was a huge tom waits i'm a i'm a major bob dylan freak cool um okay. and there's one pretty good podcast um yeah what what's it called g- but we're rolling or something is that what it's called maybe it's not that yeah i can't remember but yeah, it's called like Sharp. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't like. I appreciate Dylan culture. I, I can't say I'm like, a huge fan of his music, but there are a few Dylan podcasts out there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Bob Dylan record by record. Mm. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I know. And I he's think... a guy out of England too. Yes, no, no. Uh, yeah, it's Bob I know... Dylan album album by album. Yes, no, I know who you talk about. He's on he's on British radio, but I know him because. He was on um, a John Lennon podcast that I listened to, and they did a two-part episode about mm. Lennon and Dylan's friendship. That was a really good episode, actually. 
And uh, yeah, yeah. He, he was great. I remember he was talking about that. So um, I mean, yeah, big battle. He's just but... smart, smart guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, so yeah, Tom Waits. I mean, taken Dylan, taken, but you know, whatever. <laughs> you can... Maybe some old school Fresh or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm just now kind of getting back into metal. Like my roommate listens to a metal, a lot of metal, and he's in a metal band. And um, but I, you know, I listen to everything. Um, it doesn't really matter what it is. I'm influenced by it. I'm a mm-hmm. songwriter, so right. I just am always checking shit out, you know. And uh, so I guess finally, like, what about yourself in terms of contacts? Is there any projects you like to promote? Anything like that? Um, well, I am. I, I'm a solo songwriter. Um, Reed Coker is my name, but I haven't really launched that as a solo project. But I am in. Uh, uh, a, a Sabbath, Black Sabbath band. <laughs> oh right! So that's something. It's called Void of Sabbath, and we play out of Chicago. We're not playing right now, but we have a a, a female lead singer named Angie Mead who does the Aussie stuff, and it's uh, pretty cool. And then like two guitar players, like we kind of have studied the left speaker, right speaker kind of concept. We're not like trying to jump around like. Tony Iommi or Ozzy. We just kind of like try to repurpose the music. Um, and there's another band I, I'm a lyricist for right now called Cheer Accident. Um, I've written a couple songs for them. They're an amazing uh, Chicago band that everybody should check out. And there's dozens of others, but you know, yeah. Yeah. For starters. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Hold Steady, they Chicago band. Uh, I they don't write know. about I know Chicago. That name. Yeah, I don't know if you heard of them. Yeah. They're they're a good band actually. Um, obviously, uh, the band Chicago as well. But you're the second. Yeah. I think you're the second guy I've had on who's in a Black Sabbath tribute band. So. Oh really? There are dozens of yeah. Mike Michael Hampton. Uh, what are they called? I think they're called like Under the Sun. He, he I think he lives in L.A. He's been on the show a few times. He's a good dude. He's the lead singer. Uh, so oh, cool. Um, that's cool. Yeah, and that's cool that you saw um, Ozzy back then as well. I guess with Jakey e. Lee was the guitar player, right? On the Damage Inc. tour? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Or, or, you yeah. know, it was a, whatever it was, Ultimate Sin tour or stuff like that. But um, yeah, yeah, th- yeah, this is this is uh, this has been great. And I guess just to conclude, people, um, follow us at MetallicaPod. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show and discuss a topic like today or a top 10 or whatever, go back through the archive, check out all the song reviews, all the gig recaps and discussions and my episode about Metallica books and them at Glastow and uh, Hetfield on Joe Rogan. And, you know, we've been doing some good episodes lately. Uh, Patreon is there. Give us a, um, you know, help support us over there. I want to give a shout out to Danny Derryberry, actually. Thank you so much for Danny. He actually upped his pledge uh, this month. Very kind. So um, if you want to give back to the show, episodes like this will be on there first. You know, months before they drop on the main feed. So you can get premium pay-per-view access download straight to your phone. Or if you want to listen, the RSS feed. So, um, yeah, that's about it, really. Leave us a review on iTunes. Go listen to some Cliff Burton. Go listen to some uh, Agents of Misfortune. See if you can unearth <laughs> those Maxwell Ranch ta- tapes and just drop, <laughs> drop box them me. I will not say a word. I have a VPN. It's all cool. And then I'll leak them to the to the universe. So, uh, yeah, this has been great. Reed, thanks again, man. This is fun. Yeah, man. Ciao. Thank you so much. Honored to be here.